Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. I want to say hello to many of our faithful listeners out there. In particular, I want to say hello to Mary Nason from LaBelle, Florida. Thank you for your very kind letter, Mary. It's always good to hear from our listeners out there. And we say hello to all of you and appreciate hearing from you. If you want to email me, the best email to use is taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor, like Mount Tabor, where Jesus transfigured, T-A-B-O-R, taborlife at earthlink.net. For those of you who do listen to our program, you often hear the history of the stories of the Eastern Catholic churches and their spirituality. A lot of this does have to entail the history. It's a history that's maybe not so well known among most Catholic circles. The Eastern Catholic churches are, of course, smaller for the most part in most parts of the world, certainly in the Western part of the world, but that does not mean that they are any less significant, and so their histories are very significant. But they are not just a history lesson. The Eastern Catholic churches have a great relevancy today, even in terms of confronting the hot-button issues of our day. Sometimes I'm asked oftentimes, they'll say to me, Father Tom, what do the Eastern churches have to say about issues such as contraception and transgenderism, same-sex marriage, you know, all those hot issues of our day? People often wonder if the Eastern Catholic churches have a different approach to those things, or are they in concert with the Pope and the Catholic Church on these things? Well, first and foremost, yes. The answer is yes. We are in concert with the Pope and the teaching of the Church, the Catholic Church, on all of these issues. But the other important thing to know is that the Eastern churches, as important as their histories are, we must learn those histories— They are not just a history lesson or a museum piece. They are actually a vast reservoir in which we can tap into to help us to understand, articulate, and confront properly and adequately all of the issues of our day, especially these hot-button issues that many Catholics, East and West, oftentimes feel, well, inadequate to explain, to defend, to articulate. 
Now, one of the reasons why the East has something to offer is because, if you think again historically, everything started in the East. The East is the womb. It's the mother. It's the home base of our faith. And if you know anything about the councils of the churches, even, for instance, the Second Vatican Council in recent history, there is always a return back to our home base, to our womb, to the the motherland of our theology and spirituality, which is, of course, the East. We look back into the East, as they did during the Second Vatican Council, as a place of rootedness, a place of home base, a place where we spring from when we want to develop theologies and articulations of issues that are contemporary. In other words, we have to go back to our beginnings. We have to go back to the sources, and the sources in the East. Now, to the credit of the Western churches, the Western log of the church, over time, they developed theologies and ways to articulate and to make pronouncements to the world in regard to many contemporary issues. This has certainly been the strength of the popes over time, especially in modern history. Every time there was a threat to the created order, to God's way of doing things, and therefore to humanity, such as when contraception tried to become the way of the land, which unfortunately it is now, or abortion, or other issues such as immigration, or labor, the economy, the environment. All these issues that concern humanity and civilization have received wonderful articulation by the popes over time, and of course they are speaking for the church. So basically, you could say that it's not just the Pope, but it's the Western churches, in particular the Roman Catholic Church, that has done a marvelous job of confronting the issues of our day, these hot-button issues, the issues that affect all of us, that are often debated and fought over, sometimes with a lot of heat to them. (laughs) But the Pope comes along and, speaking with the mind of the church, articulates where the church is on these issues and, therefore, what the appropriate attitude is towards them. In other words, the Pope, in concert with the church, articulates the proper understanding of God's created order, because that's really what these things amount to. They amount to understanding God's created order. In other words, how things work in this world and why how God created them to work, and why he did. And when we understand that, we have a clear understanding of that, and we can articulate that, then we can go forward and confront these issues and hopefully call the world to live according to that order. Well, the Eastern churches have not been as strong and as effective as a body, as as Eastern churches per se, in articulating a way to confront these issues. It is something that we need to learn from the West, and it's also one of the great blessings, in my mind, of being part of the Catholic Church. I, as an Eastern Christian, an Eastern Catholic, feel very fortunate that I have a voice, a voice that can speak for me, for my church, even for my spirituality, and to the world on these hot-button issues, and that voice ultimately is the Pope of Rome. It's the Roman Catholic Church and its magisterium. But what the East does have to offer, as I mentioned earlier, is the original reservoir, the touchstone, the place we go to from where we will spring forward to confront contemporary issues, and that is the strength of the East. If I did not know the magisterial teaching of the Church, I would still from my own Eastern Christian spirituality, arrive at the same understanding, the same articulation of these hot-button issues. And again, I'm talking about these issues that confront us today, such as 
contraception, health care, the environment, same-sex attraction and marriage, and transgenderism, etc. That, of course, includes issues that have been around for a while for us, such as abortion and contraception. So in speaking about those issues, I personally would arrive at the same thinking, the same articulation of these issues from my own Eastern Christian spirituality. I would arrive at the same point as the Pope does, as the magisterial teaching of the church, articulated splendidly by the Western lung of the church, the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. How would I arrive at that? Well, there are two places in particular where I would go, two places in this reservoir of the Eastern churches that I would go to understand, to be able to articulate and confront the hot-button issues of our day. Those two areas, and these are the great strengths of the Eastern Church, are its liturgy and its monasticism. I would go there to answer the question, why can't two men, for instance, be quote-unquote married? Or what's wrong with someone having a so-called sex change if they really believe or feel that's what they need to do? How do we answer those things? I know many Catholics feel somewhat at a loss to really articulate those things, to really articulate the church's position on those things. They know in their heart that these things are wrong, that they're not part of God's order, but they have a hard time articulating how to explain that exactly. Well, I would go to these two sources, the liturgy and monasticism. Let's start with monasticism. What does monasticism have to offer any of us to help us to understand the church's position on these hot-button issues and how to articulate the church's position? Well, what is monasticism? Monasticism, as St. John Paul II said in his wonderful document, Orientale Lumen, which means light of the east, which of course is where we get the name of our program, What he said in there was that monasticism was the reference point for all of the baptized. The reference point, reference point for all the baptized. That must mean that monasticism is very important. It must have something very crucial to offer us, and it does. Monasticism is the radical, the most authentic embracing of the same baptismal vows that all Christians take. And those vows amount to this that we die to ourselves, We drown the old self. We literally do that in the Eastern churches in the way that we baptize. We totally immerse the person three times in the water. Yeah, even with their babies. There is a drowning. No, the baby doesn't drown, but there's a part of the baby that drowns, a part of our old self that is washed away in the waters of baptism. And we rise to the real person, the new person. This idea of dying to ourselves and rise to our new person is absolutely essential for understanding and living what the church says about these hot-button issues. Because what we're saying here is that we do not act upon what it is that we want, that we personally want, our desires, our agenda, or even our feelings, no matter how deep they are. Monasticism reminds us that life is about an ascetical discipline of a constant warring against our desires. Because many of our desires and our feelings and our ideologies and our agendas are fallen from original sin. So in our world today, we tend to insist on acting upon everything that we feel, everything that we think, and everyone has to go along with that. Otherwise, we accuse them or we label them with these nasty names. But monasticism says it's not about just what we think or feel. There is something else. And we're going to talk more about that something else when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host, and we are talking about the relevancy, the reservoir, the home base of the Eastern Christian spirituality out of which we draw our answers, our ability to articulate the church's teaching and confront the hot-button issues of our day. I can't emphasize enough that as much as we speak about the history of the Eastern churches, they are not just a history lesson or a museum piece. They are relevant for today, very relevant Our first place that we went to in our reservoir was monasticism, which we spoke about the idea that a Christian life is really about dying to self and rising to our real self. This involves what we call an ascetical discipline. It's a constant saying no to ourself. Now, not that everything we want is wrong or bad. It's just that much of what we want has a fallen side to it. And we don't put what we want or feel or our ideologies, our agendas, our opinions, our ideas. We don't put that up front. We don't insist on that. No matter how strong we we may feel them, there is always something else. And that something else is our real self, the self that God called us to be. In other words, that self that grows more and more into the image and likeness of God. Each one of us grows into the image and likeness of God in our own unique ways. God has a plan for each of us. We're like stars in the sky. 
Think of it that way. Every star shines in its own way. Some are larger or brighter or closer. Some are further. Some are smaller. But they're all essential. When you look up at the sky, the fact that all those stars are different is what makes the sky beautiful. If they were all exactly the same, it would be kind of boring. But they're different. So a small star is just as important as a big star. It's just that each star is unique and shines in its own way, the way God intended it to shine. That's the same thing with us. But the way that we shine, what is shining in us, is that part of us that is most like God. In other words, we become most and more Christ-like in our life. And we do so in our particular way. So our lives are about dying to self and rising to our true self, not that which is foreign to ourselves, not that which is foreign to the created order. So, for example, for a person who says that they have same-sex attraction and they want to be married, or someone who is a man who, as we're seeing today, unfortunately, so often in the news, a man who says, I really should be a woman, so I'm going to pursue that. Whenever someone says that, what they're doing is they're choosing against not only the created order, but they're choosing against what is their authentic selves. Now, I know they feel this way very strongly, but what they feel, what they desire, is not necessarily what is true or what should be. And to war against those desires so as to open ourselves to become our authentic selves, the self that God intended us to be, is not easy, especially when a person really feels differently. They really believe they should be different. It does not mean that that is what is God's plan for them. God's plan for them is for them, each one of us, no matter how wounded we are, no matter how disordered we are, no matter how good we are, no matter what, God's plan for us is for each one of us to grow in a way that is more and more consistent with his order of creation. This is called divinization. This is called growing into our authentic selves. So the character of monasticism with its sense of dying to self and rising to our real self, and the ascetical discipline that that requires is one of those places we can go to draw upon the riches of the Eastern spirituality in regard to the hot-button issues of our day. That's one of the places that I go to, too. Also with monasticism, we're talking about what is ultimately our destiny. In other words, monasticism, precisely because it has the celibate dimension to it, makes present on earth for us a, a very real reminder. It makes real to us what's going to be in the next life, that we have this ultimate destiny of union with God. We have an ultimate destiny of becoming the one spouse together of the bridegroom of Christ. Our ultimate destiny is dependent upon, of course, our holiness. We are called to holiness We are called to a union with God, a glorious union with God, in which our body and souls will be reunited together once again, as they were originally intended to be. And that ultimate goal, that ultimate destiny, is what our goal in life, our primary goal in life, is supposed to be. Not just our feelings, not just responding to our disordered desires or to ideologies, the things that the secular world tells us we must believe or to pursue, but the growth and holiness, the union with God is our ultimate destiny. And monasticism points to that. It makes it real to us. It makes what is in heaven present on earth.
So monasticism is our first reservoir. Our second reservoir we're going to turn to, and we didn't exhaust monasticism, but we'll move on to the liturgy of the church, of the Eastern churches. In the liturgy of the church, we find the very context for the whole order of creation, in particular, ourselves as man and woman, that whole world that we would call sexuality, human sexuality, because let's face it, that's where a lot of these hot-button issues lie, in the area of human sexuality in one way or another. The environment is there, healthcare is there, yes, these other issues are there, and they are hot issues, immigration and so on, they are hot issues, important issues, but the ones that are hottest, most significant, are the ones that have to do with our human sexuality. Because as St. John Paul II points out in his Theology of the Body, our human sexuality is what makes us most like God. So it is the most significant aspect of our being. It has a great integration, a totality to it. So that's why these issues ultimately lie there. So what does the liturgy have to offer for us? Well, first of all, the liturgy has a very, very strong sense of hierarchy that there is an order of things, there is an authority, things work in a certain verticality, a certain hierarchy. There are certain things that are greater than other things, certain beings that are greater than other beings. There's even different hierarchies in heaven among the angels and dominations and principalities. The beings in heaven that God created before he created human beings actually have a hierarchy to them. So God is about hierarchy, whether we like it or not. We don't tend to like that very much, especially in our culture because we tend to be somewhat anti-authoritarian. We tend to be anti-authority in our culture and very egalitarian. But that's not really how God is and how he set things up. So the liturgy, first of all, teaches us that there is an authority that we must defer to and that there is a transcendent God, that our starting point is his transcendence. In other words, it's connected very much with what we just said about monasticism. It's not about us and our desires about ideologies and whims and fads. Life is about a transcendent God that we defer to. That's our first and fundamental orientation. We defer to a God who is greater than us, who created us and who created this entire order of creation that we are called to learn about and to live in harmony with. This is where we find the most happiness and peace and joy on earth, globally, universally, and also individually. So the liturgy has that strong sense, even the direction of it. We face east. We all face the altar. We face the same direction. In other words, we are all deferring to this transcendent God who has established that order of creation. And we are offering proper praise in humility and and thanksgiving to him. We don't do what we unfortunately, are doing a lot of today in our culture. We don't tell God that he basically is on the sidelines and we're taking over. That's actually what's behind a lot of these philosophies and ideologies in these hot-button issues. It's essentially saying that we know better, God. We're going to take over. We're going to recreate the order of creation because you made a mistake and we want it this way. We prefer it this way. The liturgy itself and everything about it says to us, God is is God. He is the transcendent one to whom we defer, and he has given us and made us part of this grand order of creation that we learn about and that we interface with, we live according to, for our happiness, so that things will have order in this world, love, joy, compassion. Also in the liturgy, 
there is a very strong fundamental spousal dimension to it. The Eastern churches, their liturgies for the most part, are laid out according to the character that goes all the way back to the ancient Jewish temple, where you have a very definite break or division between the Holy of Holies, where the altar is, and the Ne, the rest of the church. And that Holy of Holies, going all the way back to the Jewish temple, meant what it even means today, ultimately, in our liturgy, meant that that was the special place of meeting between the bridegroom God, or in our case, Jesus Christ, who is, of course, God still, and the church. In the Old Testament, it was the bridegroom God and the bride Israel. For us, it is the bride, the church, and the bridegroom Christ who comes to us to consummate the mystical marriage on the altar, the nuptial bed of the altar in the sanctuary. And we all stand facing that altar, facing east, like the virgins in the gospel, in expectation of the coming of the bridegroom. And the fact that the sanctuary is sectioned off from the nave, and then we faced east, ad orientum, enables us to participate in that spousal order, that order of the bridegroom Christ with his bride. Now, what is significant about this? The spousal relationship between God, who is, in our analogy, groom, and we who are bride, sets the tone for the whole world of our human sexuality, the why behind our being man and woman, how that is absolutely significant in the order of creation. It is not arbitrary, it is not insignificant, and it cannot be altered or changed by any of us. And all of that finds its context in the liturgy, the art, the architecture of the church. Well, we've just scratched the surface of this reservoir that we can draw from in the Eastern churches to confront the hot-button issues of our day. We'll talk more about this another time. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.